Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Blank Sutra Podcast. I am Cameron Dorsey, right next to my lovely co-host and great brother, Carlos Reyes. Hey, everybody. How are you feeling today, Carlos? I'm doing extra good today. I feel like I just came back from the beach. I feel like I have a tan on my neck. Okay. Um, Were you at the beach? No, no. I was at a... I was at work today out at Sparkman. Um, didn't really have a lot of shade today, but it was really just in general a hot day, you know, normal day in Florida. Tremendous. Exactly. Yeah, dude, I heard they're doing some pickleball out there. Yeah, today was just a, a really simple day. We had a, a pickleball tournament going on over there by Channel Side. If anyone's familiar with that area, it's pretty cool for anyone coming in from out of state. It's one of our spots in Tampa that we can say is touristy. Uh, aside from that, we just had like a band playing, just a duo group. It was all fun. Yeah. I'm back, took a shower, feeling rested. Yeah, dude. You look rested too today. I'm pretty well rested. Yeah, I, I must say, I kind of... I had the day off, so I did a few things Oh yeah! in the morning time, like some odds and ends sort of cleaned up a little bit. Uh, went and did some research on uh, simulation theory a little bit. Yeah. Just because that's interesting. And, uh, you know, you kind of piqued my interest in, t- in it, too. Um, uh, before I get carried away and, and we don't say it, R.I.P. Cormac McCarthy. It's kind of weird how I was bringing up that book on the podcast like an episode or two ago, and now he's dead. I read his final book like, and finished it the day before he died, which is kind of weird. Symbolism. Uh, Yeah, some weird synchronous shit, but uh, the book itself was okay. Like, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. He's, he's still a master of writing and like can definitely say a lot or, or show a lot without saying a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's his gift to me in terms of narrative, but also just like the poetic way in which he can talk about nature and stuff is what really drew me to him. And that's on, like, full display in this book. The only problem I had with the book is that the plot is, like, all over the place. And, um... This last book... This last book. Is all over the place, the plot. Yeah, and I'm on the... Because the last book itself is called The Passenger, and it's, like, about 400 pages. He released a companion book that's, like, 120 pages that's from... It's, like in the same universe as the story, but from a slightly different perspective. A companion, okay. Like a little companion piece with it. Um, Because, you know, it's about this diver, deep sea diver, who happens upon a mysterious wreck plane crash that happens. It's a private plane. All the passengers are dressed very nicely, but he and his partner are the first on the scene. They're sent out by some diving agency to be like, get in there, assess the damage, and then then we'll send out the Coast Guard and stuff to come clean it up. (laughs) And so nobody's been in the plane yet, right? He goes down there with his partner, and they, like, weld 
their way into the plane and there's supposed to be nine passengers there's only eight um the pilot's black box is missing from the uh, pilot's cabin there's a couple other details that are just like hmm i think there's like a parachute missing too and so you're like that's very odd you know um but the main character that you're following bobby western is not really trying to get wrapped up in it he's not really trying to be like oh yeah this is a mystery that's worth he's not trying to be fucking sherlock holmes you know but his partner is his partner just keeps asking questions like well why why was there only eight passengers Mm -hmm. what happened to like the pilot's black box and that stuff and the main character's like yo take my word just leave it alone um and apparently his partner days later goes back out there and dies and so in in the meantime like before that happens the main character is visited by two like men in black type dudes who are like we have a few questions for you bobby and he's like okay and he's like not being really cooperative with him or anything he's kind of joking around with him but then he finds out his friend's dead and he's like oh shit they got my boy you know so they set up a pretty sweet like mystery all the while he's also thinking in the back of his head about his sister who is dead at the time that this plot is unraveling but his sister was like i don't know like maybe 20 years old tops she killed herself he was in love with her in a romantic sense and she was in love with him but she was schizophrenic and so there's some chapters of the book that are from the girl's sister's perspective in her room um where she's visited by these like fanciful uh like little beasts and gnomes that are just like personas that are in her mind i think Mm -hmm. it's like different aspects of her character there's one main one called The Kid. Full name is The Thalidomide Kid. And it's like this three foot tall, bald dude with fins for hands. And like and the, the way that he wrote his character is really interesting because there's a lot of really good wordplay. It's a very funny book. Like there's there's parts where I giggled, you know. Um but after it's like set up that, ooh, this mystery is going to be in place and this is what the whole rest of the book is going to be about, they just barely touch on it ever again. And it's just like this dude meandering through his life. No wonder the plot's everywhere. Yeah, it just goes everywhere, dude. And and like nothing ever really gets resolved. And I mean, it's probably some big meta commentary about life. There, death is such a huge part of that book. And like... I can feel that it's like Cormac McCarthy speaking through these characters about his thoughts on death. Yeah. From different perspectives, because he was 89 when he died. So, rather full life. And at 89, you got to know, you know, we're pulling into the station at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You know, for what? It seems like this afternoon's uh, topic of discussion has been death. Yeah, because (laughs) because before we do these podcasts, ladies and gentlemen, me and Carlos just do what we do every time I come over to his house, and we kind of spend a good 45 minutes to an hour and a half just talking shit, 
and talking about life and weird concepts. So we were definitely talking about death and simulation and conceptualizations of heaven. You were kind of going in on, on that very um, specific to the person. Yeah. Death like your paradise. own your own island, your own universe of yeah. what your vision of heaven would be. And and so what would yours be, Carlos? Uh. If, you, if if you had one, this is not this is something we didn't talk about. Yeah, so we tend to share back and forth, but I didn't get to share, so I I'll share on the official podcast. Well, I do like the idea of it being sort of like an island, your own, you know, the way of your making. Uh, I kind of think of it as like, imagine the perfect day of your life. Um, maybe you're at a younger age. Like if I died in my 80s, why would I want to relive eternal bliss in my 80s yeah. still? I would like to be 24 again or something like that. Healthy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fit, with uh, a good sense of hygiene, I'm sure. <laughs> you better believe it. Um, but not starving. Not not feeling like I need to replenish something. And I think when we were talking about, well, if you die, you wouldn't really necessarily need those things. Because you're like, you take uh, yourself out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameron's favorite video game, as I know, is Fallout <laughs> New Vegas. Damn right. And he was mentioning about like, you know, imagine just being able to play Fallout New Vegas for the rest of your life. But it's got to be refreshing in some way. Uh, you'll have like a bunch of food with you. Uh, my view of it would be kind of like, yeah, like I would have all my friends nearby. Everyone's like still in contact. It's like that one perfect day of your life at a certain point of your youth. That would be really nice to, you know, en- enjoy. And I guess you don't age at that point. And yeah, I, I don't know what the concept, like does the concept of day and night exist at that point? I don't know. I feel like you're, it's just a freeze frame. Yeah. And again, there's like no concept of time with it. Okay. You know? Yeah. You're just everywhere. You're everything. Yeah. Cause y- y- you were saying, um, with the help of some, uh, recreational mind expanding LSD, let's just be clear about it. Okay. LSD. Okay. Carlos is, uh, Carlos is a straight shooter, ladies and gentlemen. Carlos was taking some acid at one point in his younger days, and he and he said that he sort of felt that he had reacclimated into the miasma yeah. of existence <laughs> and stopped having uh, eyeballs and uh, a skull per yeah. se. He said he could feel the fabric in the carpet on which he was sitting down. He could feel the air moving the, the walls. The walls. He could he could feel the molecules of everything. And I've experienced that myself too, you know, um, both with recreational substances and with just like intense deep meditation too, you can kind of get there, I feel. That's actually a really positive thing at the latter half is because out of that whole experience, I'm not saying that you necessarily need to take this kind of stuff or you need to rely your whole life around it. But, uh, what's the right way to say, uh, is it tantric way of living? I know there's like something. In Describe the qualities of it. What do you mean? You like meditating, being almost like a yogi. It's like ascetic. 
but your quality of life is still, you know, depending on, you know, where your situation is, where you currently stand, mm-hmm. but just taking the, the noble pathway to things. You're talking about like renouncing yeah, material possessions. Like you can and... kind of like get there. And I still feel like you can definitely, as a human, you can get to oh, that. Oh, you're talking about like a spiritual state. You can get to that spiritual state without necessarily needing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This was just a peek into like. Hey, check this out. Yeah, I definitely believe that. Uh, Before I forget, Spiritual State is a great album by New Jeb Is, the last album he ever released. Fucking amazing. The first song is makes me want to cry. But, uh, yeah, I think um, Ram Dass was talking about this. And here I am being the million the the 100,001 person who is bringing up Ram Dass on a freaking podcast. Hey, he's he's great though. If you haven't listened to him, check him out. But he was talking about going to India um to meet with initially it was he was going over there uh because he was a part of the Harvard LSD experiments when they first happened in like the late 50s and 60s. Um he has a book called Be Here Now where this whole thing is outlined very in depth from his perspective. A great book. I would suggest getting it. But um, he says that he it got to a point because he took mushrooms and realized that he wasn't this body. Sort of what you mm-hmm. realized and what I realized a little bit. It's like, I'm not this body. I'm not all these personas that I've made up for myself that give me comfort. I'm actually just a part of the collection of energy that's out there, right? Yeah. And so through mushrooms, he got there, and then they came up with LSD. And I think they sort of saw LSD as like, uh, you know, um, concentrated mushroom psilocybin stuff. They see it as more of like a man-made controlled Mm. form of hallucinogen. So they were experimenting over here with it, giving poor 18 year old children basically fucking full red solo cups of lsd and watching them lose their minds essentially uh probably ruining their lives but um he then goes over to india because he's like okay i hear all this hoopty do hand wavy shit about people like connecting with gaia and all this stuff that was when he was still richard albert yep Yep. Nice. Nice. Good, good, good memory there, Carlos. But, uh, yeah, he was still Richard Alpert and he was like, it was partly because he realized that there was some truth and, and nobility in the spiritual path. And partly because he was still scientifically minded. He was like, I want to go over there and I want to give this to a bunch of swamis and yoga, yoga Nanda motherfuckers and see how they react, you know? I want to see if they can hold it together. I I just want to see. And so he said, like, you know, I went to one and I gave him some and he was like, this is good, but it's not as good as meditation. He went to another and that one was like, how do I get more of this? You know? And he somehow met up with somebody there, uh, a younger European dude who was fully decked out in um, Hindu gear and was like, had been there many times. Richard Alpert himself was like 35 at this point or something. 
there's like this 20, 22 year old kid from the Netherlands or some shit mm -hmm. who like takes Ram Dass under his wing and it's like, I got to show you my, the, the true master. Like I got to show you the, the guy. And so, you know, Richard's like, all right, cool. Let's do it. A whole big journey up into the mountains and the Himalayas and they get to this guy, fuck, Maharishi. I think that's a title, but um, his name is going to come to me, I yeah. swear to God. But anyway, this very prominent teacher that had a devout following that they all just lived up in the mountains and listened to whatever this dude said and came to this guy for guidance. Uh, Ram Dass gives him the LSD one day and like, they have a morning meeting, he gives him the LSD, and he's watching him the whole day. And he says, like, he was just, like, beaming light before I gave him the LSD, and then afterward he was beaming light at the same frequency, and he just, it, there was no change at all. And um, he's like, well, whatever, that's fairly standard. The next day, he calls him back um, and is like, do you have more of that medicine? And Ram Dass is like, medicine, what are you talking about? Because he's speaking through a translator. And he's like, oh, he must be referring to the LSD. And he's like, do you have any more of that? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, let me see. And he's like, he's going to give him like one tab or one droplet. And let's just say droplet. He, instead of taking the one droplet, takes the dropper and the bottle and just takes it all, look, 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 takes look. it all down. And this is medical grade LSD, which it's like, you know, a droplet is probably fine for anybody with a pulse and uh this dude rips the whole thing back and rondas is like oh my god i just i just killed a, a man who's a spiritual teacher in the mountains i i just oh it's maharaji i just killed maharaji but he said again he watches him throughout the day and he doesn't change like he's he's beaming smiling there's no he's not freaking out he's not grinding his teeth He's just there. And he's, yeah. when he comes back to him later, he's like, this stuff is good, but if you hang out with me a little more, I can show you how to be here all the time. Yeah, how to get to that level. How to get to that level. Yeah, because you were saying it's just a glimpse, you know, those extra experiences. It's just a glimpse of what you could, the, the state you could attain, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully. Speaking of those uh, experiences, uh, this is also part of the recommended books, and this is also a recommended book that I need to go through, but I have the book in my personal bookshelf. It's I think I told Cameron about this. It's called The Teachings of Don Juan, hmm. The Yaqui Way of Knowledge. But it's written by Carlos Casaneda, and it's basically his master thesis, and it's in, it's basically a whole journey of this author with a self-proclaimed Yaqui Indian sorcerer from Sonora, Mexico. And I read through like a little bit of like, cause it's almost like a journal entry, uh -huh. the first half mm -hmm. and the latter half of the book is pretty much now from like that scientific point of view mm -hmm. of uh, this guy's uh, yeah. From like UC Berkeley student. This is like back in the sixties. Mm. So just like how you're saying, um, when Ram Dass was coming through, 
just like understanding from, from like a point of reasoning of why, you know, these things occur. Uh, it goes through like a lot of stuff with peyote, mescaline, mescalito, how they call it, or uh, jimson weed, which is like the tura. That's uh-huh. like the, the other level kind of shit. The other level kind of shit. Yeah. So I read a little bit about the tura, and it's pretty much um, a deliriant. Oh yeah, it's it's like take really small doses. It's just a, it's just a plant. Yeah, but yeah, not to make this all about like plants and and all that stuff. But I thought it was really cool. Um, if you have already checked out that book, go ahead. But it's kind of just like a journey uh, from someone that wanted to understand like how do I get to this point in in life and understanding from like someone that actually is like living in through it. Yeah. For sure. It makes you wonder, man. Like, if you were at that sort of cosmic awareness level all the time, how could you not sort of just leave and go to the mountains and just not really need... I don't, this is probably just me projecting onto it, but I, I would imagine like you wouldn't need much human interaction or like go, go into the club or like, you know, yeah. uh, let's, let's go drinking on the weekends with our pals. Like that shit kind of all just flies out the window. Yeah, it does. I would assume. Sure. I don't know. When I was in Peru and we were traveling to like a different little uh, town or a city far away from like the normal capital where there's a lot of people you know a lot of buildings uh we would be passing miles and miles of like stretch of land and then you would see like a little house maybe like a light or like one street lamp post on and that's it and then the rest around is just darkness pure jungle or pure you know mountainous regions so yeah that stuff kind of like makes me wonder just there's no Walmart, of course. There's no, like, city shopping center. I'm sure if there is, like, uh, a means to get somewhere, someone will be able to find a way mm. to, like, see other people or go to, like, a marketplace. But other than that, it seems like you're self-sufficient. Yeah. Uh, something tells me that Peruvian Walmartless life is a lot more peaceful than the life we're living here. Um, it's all very attractive, the that form of like man i just want to like live in the mountains and just just be on my my own it's yeah it's romanticizing yeah that's like a whole nother topic of discussion there i i don't think it's fully in the capable hands of like folks like us to to want to just do that i think we can reach that sort of level of where, yes, we are, what's that one word that you said? Very, uh, essentiated? Um, ascetic. Ascetic way of living. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's doable, Mm -hmm. but it's, I feel like it's all about the intention with which you're doing it. Right. Like if you're doing it to appear like an enlightened, um, highly evolved being as levi would say um if you're doing it to appear that way then that's already like damaged goods yeah that's a spoiled apple you know um because you there's still a part of your soul that's clinging on to 
the status and hierarchical nature yeah. of human life. Comfort. Comfort. Comfort a little bit, but more so like self-egrandizing. Like, look at me. I was a lawyer, and then I just shuffled off those heavy chains and now i'm living in the mountains in yeah. a mercedes sprinter van and <laughs> i'm eating nothing but hummus and couscous and spinach and i'm drinking water and i'm meditating for three hours a day like who are you doing that for mm. if not for some you know ego created uh like ideal yeah person how do you have a phone and do that because you see those like on tiktok or like reels where there's like hey watch me you know living life in a van yeah, yeah. it's doable and i mean part of me would totally do that for a season of my life i'm not i'm not poo-pooing it i'm more saying that like if you're doing it with the intention to look cool which unfortunately is the intention intention of a lot of things that are put on the internet now yeah you know it's the internet <laughs> that is the internet it's like okay that's cool i mean i've met true ascetic people um one of my friends uh whose name is joel he he was hanging out at this this tea shop one of the muddy water where i do the open mic yeah and I was hanging there one night reading a book and I had never really talked in depth with this dude before. Um, but his dog would come and I'd pet up his dog, just a simple, Hey, Oh, what's your name? Oh, she's so adorable. Yeah. Da, 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 all that like sort of like surface level shit. But then there was one night and some, some random occurrence where we were in the same proximity and I struck up a conversation with him. We ended up talking for like two hours just about, life and the sort of stuff we're talking about now and his journey was one of because there was something going on in his spirit he felt that was you know unclean or maybe dissonant with how life should be he was like i'm gonna go to a zen buddhist monastery and i'm just gonna live there this is way before the internet this is way before you could get on TV or in the ears of listeners in such a in such an easy way as we have it now. And so there was no vain at least it appears to me there was no vain or materialistic um status motivation for him to do what he did. He just did it. Mm -hmm. And I mean from what I heard, he had a great time. Like, and it was a Walmartless life. It was, I'm gonna get up at 4 a.m. and I'm gonna walk the grounds. I'm gonna drink some water, have some rice. I'm gonna meditate for three hours, and then I'm gonna do my daily tasks. Then I'm gonna go in and speak to the Zen Roshi, and then I'm gonna meditate some more and do some like. Uh, you know, sutras, read some sutras, do some chants, go to bed, wake up, do the same thing the next day. And I, I can totally see without having any sort of like psychological knowledge of the psychology of science, how that could just reset somebody's shit. 
like how that can take you from being like a self-obsessed, self-centered person. And because you're like just cutting all those ties to being a quote unquote person in the world, like that's got to create some sort of equilibrium. Like the waters of your mind have to still, you know, and he is in society now. So obviously he didn't choose to stay there. Apparently they came to him with an ultimatum at one point and we're like, yo, like we really love having you. But you're at the point now where it's either you stay here forever or you got to go. And he decided to go. Um, And I didn't ask him about what I probably did, but I forgot um, why he decided to leave. Uh, But he said it was very healing for him to do. And I think if you have guidance and if you're in like a society um, that is centered on that, creating that balance you know uh like there's also societies of monks like buddhist monks where a large portion of like the quote-unquote daily tasks that um the different students would have is to train german shepherds or just train dogs in general i think like they're like himalayan dogs or so probably that's a breed but yeah yeah probably it probably happens up there um but this was the guy who is the guy who like broke David Goggins. Yeah. Uh, that story. He was the guy that was like, come live in my house for a month. That guy, which was also an equally enlightening experience for him and very fortunate for David Goggins because that guy probably doesn't have to work a day in his life anymore, but he chooses to because he's an animal. Um, I love David Goggins, but, he also, before or after meeting David Goggins, went to a monastery, like a Buddhist monastery, and lived that life. And he said he went to one where they were training German shepherds. And I believe it's probably because you have... It's like our da- our daily lives, we have so many things that we think are purposeful that we're working for or working towards. Um, but are ultimately like hollow things, you know, whether it's like a number in your bank account, certain amount of property, they bring comfort and ease and privilege for sure, which are great things. Like they're great feelings. I'm not going to be Johnny high horse over here and be like, you shouldn't be a millionaire or billionaire. No, that's awesome. Like if I could, I would. Um, but when you, I don't know. There's so many possibilities in daily life, so many paths to go down, that if you were to, again, just cut all that stuff off and maintain one path, one duty, you know, my duty is to wake up, meditate, drink some water, eat some rice, walk the grounds and train these dogs, you know. Get them up to snuff so they can be police dogs. They could be uh, companion dogs for people with disabilities, you know? All sorts. All sorts of things. And that that is a legitimately benevolent higher purpose, I, I would say. You know, if you're, if you're training animals to be of service to their owners and to society, that's right up there with being a billionaire if you're in the Himalayan mountains, 
you know, might as well be the same damn thing. So I don't know. I've th- those sort of ventures are like ascetic, knowingly, achu- knowingly choosing ascetic living is like very, uh, uh, what's it called? Like, it just like resets, resets your, your brain in a good way. Yeah. In a beneficial way. Getting something that you aren't probably accustomed to in your normal day life. No. And through such way more simpler means than is presented to you in your everyday life. Because right now, Carlos, you could become a real estate agent if you wanted to. You could go down that whole rabbit hole. You could become an electrician. You could become a, a plastic surgeon if you really wanted to. But, you know, that those like three or four options right there are one of like a hundred thousand that you have to choose from multiverse living multiverse living absolutely yeah and so who's to say that going someplace and knowingly renouncing all those possibilities and just choosing the one thing and doing that for a little while if not forever if that's your choice Who's to say there there isn't an equal amount of pleasure and, like, dharmic justification in that? Hmm. You know, feeling like, oh, wait, I am worth life, you know, because I'm doing this thing. I'm, I'm doing this thing with love in my heart and passion in my soul, and, like, this is good, you know? Yeah. That's kind of cool how... You're just bringing up like different career paths mm-hmm. that I could take. Mm-hmm. We we kind of talked a little bit about like free will and just like different things that you could do. Oh boy, <laughs> oh boy. That's... Stepping sidestepping into that kind of like different forms of life and possibilities. It, it kind of reminds me of like, again, one of those weird little breakthroughs I had where it's like, damn. So you're saying that I can, I, I start off as a child, as a baby. And then there's all these million pathways. There's all these what ifs, these butterfly effects that could have proposed onto me. But then towards the end, it's like, I just come back to just this single soul that is just going to be part of everything mm-hmm. and life moves on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Essentially. And the th- not only the things that you like, not only the things you do dictate what path you take, but the things that happen to you dictate what path you take. Mm-hmm. Um, or repercussions. Or repercussions. For <laughs> plenty of those. Some of those things. Yeah. Plenty of, plenty those, of those to things. be had in this life, man. Repercussions big one um yeah because we were talking about free will and i don't know i did i did a little bit of like reading and listening on it but i can sort of see when i first heard like two years ago three years ago like free will isn't real i was like okay wow like i've never heard a scientist sound so stupid in my life of course there's free will but it's like, um, like the more you look into it, it, it becomes sort of a, a, a tenuous question, you know, cause, uh, like you got to think when I think free, I think unbound, I think 
untethered to anything, you know? Um, and our whole lives are spent learning things, ingesting things, maybe creating things and putting them out there. And all those things in their different forms that they show up turn into who you are. Mm -hmm. But all those things are informed from the people that came before you. And if you're thinking far ahead enough in the future, you're doing it essentially to better the people in the future. Yeah. And there are a pre-established procedural set of actions you can take in any of those situations that would deem like the, the Kantian best outcome for everybody, the most utilitarian choice that often requires not hurting people physically, mentally, emotionally. It also probably requires somewhere in there in the fine print. You don't shit in your hand and throw it at somebody, you know, that's probably a big one. I can't think of any situation where that would come in handy. So if you're talking about like free will and you're like, you wake up in your bed in the morning, we were all, me and Carlos were also talking about intrusive thoughts. This whole podcast is just a, a recap <laughs> of the conversation we initially had. Uh, but you know, like, uh, the intrusive thought of like I'd be sitting in class in like fourth grade yeah. and look at the teacher at the front of the room. This is not a dig on my fourth grade teacher. This says more to say about me than it does about her. She's a lovely lady that like you get that random intrusive thought when she's up there talking and you're like, what if I just took this fucking book and frisbeed it just shot right, right at her face. Not not even out of like shut up or like this is stupid. Uh it you know, what whether it was or wasn't stupid, whatever, but just cutting loose, you know, going to the front of the class and being like, This is stupid. These books are stupid. You know, little Cam, little fat Cameron going up and yelling at people, throwing my pencils on the ground, opening up the window and jumping out the window. Like that is closer to free will than sitting in a classroom and being like, well, I have to be here because I want to go to the next grade and then the next grade and then the next grade. Yeah. But that latter option is beneficial to society if you do that. So you're kind of, it's like this double bind that occurs where it's like, if you truly had free will, society, if everybody had truly had free will, like society would just be the fucking walking dead. Like... It'd be the purge, you know? Mm. Kind of reminds me of, like, a sorting machine. Like, in a sense, um, like, like a sorting machine, like a bunch of marbles, and they're going down, and eventually a marble will have to go into, like, one of these doors. Based on weight and stuff. And you weight know? And, and, and all those other things. It's going to end up in one of them. It, it can't just, like, decide to flutter away or not go down. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that marble is confined within the laws of gravity and physics yeah. you know and so this whole this hypothetical of like i want to go to the next grade i want to make my parents happy good report card i want to have a ps3 something like that at the end of the day yeah and even if you're like video game time yeah yeah and say say the same hypothetical cameron gets to like senior year and his parents were adamant that he becomes a neurosurgeon right 
His whole life, they're like giving him dinner plates with the fucking brain on it and, you know, giving him little, uh, you know, drawing by the numbers of the Adula Oblongata, just trying to like really instantiate me into neuroscience and stuff. Yeah. But see, I get to 12th grade and I'm like, I want to make jewelry, you know? F you guys, I'm making jewelry. That would seem like free will, but that that decision in and of itself is informed by things that I saw. This hypothetical Cameron saw. Mm-hmm. He saw some lady at a farmer's market making, you know. You were influenced by something. Influenced by something. It's always like nature or nurture. Yeah. There's never a truly... Unless you're just bad parents and you just block out your child's... Yeah, and then you just leave... Imagination. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you leave it to society to govern that kid's imagination and what they think. Because, like, they always say, like, you know, little kids are sponges. I think ev- everybody at any age is a sponge. Yeah. Like, we're just sucking in stuff all day and, and shooting out words and actions that hopefully correspond with the things that we agree with. Um... And so that whole wave function of, you know, living a life just means no free will to me. Mm. Not in like a perilous, really bad, like cry my eyes out. Oh, I don't have free will. Like, but I think that form of free will is different from the biblical free will, which they differ in that I think the science, scientific quantum physics realm of free will um, is more moment to moment everyday life secular view without even considering a god whereas of course the biblical view considers a god duh but like the the biblical free will is more about like god creates the conditions for salvation and renewal and uh, everlasting glory and love and light with the father that you can achieve, you know, new, new Testament and old Testament, new Testament. God's a little nicer, but God also created the conditions to where you can just fall into a ditch and get a mouthful of pond water and get addicted to crack and beat your wife and do all these other things that are like not good, you know? But God gives you the free will to choose between the two because how it's been reasoned by theologians is that you can't have true love without choice. Mm. Like you love chocolate ice cream, hypothetically speaking. So if I put you at a table with one bowl of chocolate ice cream and 20 bowls of vanilla ice cream, you're always going to choose the chocolate ice cream, right? Because based on past experiences, the taste, how it makes your brain feel, whatever. I prefer chocolate ice cream. Um, Same thing with God. I'm comparing God to ice cream right now. But, you know, you you are uh, given an ideal in a God and it is your choice whether to flow with that or to go against that flow with daddy or go against daddy flow with daddy go against daddy. Yeah, exactly. 
you get a choice and that's the biblical free will right um and that is used often used as like a kind of throwaway answer to like why is there murder if there's a god why is there genocide if there's a god then why do all these horrible things happen <clears throat> which also man kind of dovetails really nicely into the the book of job that i was talking about that i i would want to cover on here maybe in the future i want to do a more in-depth look at it but i can just outline it right now um so I've been reading the Bible, and I'm at Psalms right now, which is right after this book, the book of Job. And um, the Bible is set up, especially the old, well, mainly the Old Testament, that's all I really know. Um, it's set up in a, in a kind of a weird way, narratively speaking, because like the first seven or eight books are about Israel, the people of Israel coming from slavery. Well, creation... Adam, uh, and then eventually, uh, Abraham, Abram, Abraham becoming like the guy that God is like, you will go on to be the father of nations, you know? So God makes a covenant with Abraham and the rest of the books after that are like, God working through Abraham, then Abraham dies. Then he has a son who's going to carry on the same covenant. And that is where you get like uh, the coat of many colors story and how the Jews are really tight with Egypt for a time period. And then after that son dies, I don't know if it was Joshua or Jacob, please forgive me. Uh, after that prophet dies, another prophet is chosen, Moses, who is to take the Egyptian or take the Israelites out of Egypt to not be slaves anymore because like they, there was a time where Egypt and Israel were cruel, but then a few Pharaohs go by and the sixth Pharaoh down the line is like, what are all these Israeli mo motherfuckers doing here? Like what, they're not Egyptian. And so they enslaved them basically. Um, but Moses takes them out. Uh, the next like five books are about Moses bringing them to the promised land, which is Israel. Uh, Moses doesn't get to go to Israel because he did something uh, in the journey that made it apparent to God that Moses wasn't choosing God. He was siding with the people too often. And I think it was really kind of cruel. Like, Old Testament God is mad, cruel, like, mm -hmm. uh, very, very human. Not, not saying that in a sacrilegious way, but God is very vengeful and human in the Old Testament. Okay, so anyway, speed up all past that. They talk about a bunch of kings. Um, Israel gets enslaved again, and then right after that book, it just shoots into a place that isn't even Israel. And it talks about this guy named Job, who he is, for all intents and purposes, a, a righteous man. He uh, prays every day. He sacrifices every day. His sacrifices are always unblemished. He treats his wife really well. He treats his kids very well. Um, and there's some sort of, you know, council meeting, water cooler talk sort of thing happening in heaven where God's there. He's talking with his angels. And a figure named uh, Satan. I, and I don't think that this is the fallen angel. 
Satan. I think this is just somebody who is in heaven, another angel who it's like Satan, a persecutor, a person who's meant to weed out the good from the bad sort of character in heaven. And God's boasting about his, you know, devout followers. And he brings up Job and he's like, look at Job. Job's the man. Look at how good I am to Job because he's good to me. And he has faith in me and he has love for me. And so Satan or Satan comes up to him and is like, well, like, I mean, he's that way because you really kind of decked him out. Mm. Like he's got all this land. He's got all this money. He's got a beautiful wife, bunch of kids, bunch of animals. He's riding high right now. He is, he is the Donald Trump of, you know, our time. So who's to say that if you took all that away from him, he would still love you the same. And uh, God's like, that's a great point. You know, <laughs> like, dang, dude, that's great point. So I'm going to give him over to your care for a little while, while Satan, Satan. Uh, and you can do anything you want besides kill him. And boy, oh boy, Job just gets hit with one haymaker after another. Like, uh, all his crops die. Um, his animals start dying. His house burns down. Anything you can think of happens poorly. His kids die. He's just left with his wife and his wife comes up to him. And it's like, yo, you need to curse God and then kill yourself. Like, legit just tells him to do that. And that's seemingly Satan speaking through a human vessel yeah. at that point, trying to really get Job at his lowest and be like, bro, just call it quits. Your God isn't real and he ain't helping you out. But Job, at this point, covered in boils and bald and just like, just looks like Gollum, essentially. It's like, no, I still trust in God. I still love God. I still believe in God. And his wife leaves him. He is then um, on what's left of his estate and he sees three travelers coming down the road. Uh, uh, Aleophaz. Oh, man. The names are escaping me. There's three of them, though. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is a mystical kind of guy who is sort of, you know, open to everything. Talks about, like, tarot cards and shit or the tarot cards of the time. One of them is a more, like, by the book and pragmatic Switzerland kind of character who's like, you know, it is what it is. I'm just trying to hear. I'm trying to be here to just console you, brother. We don't have to talk about, like, the theological context of all this the third guy is very much a by the books like you follow the rules or you die dude and so these three different forms of the human reaction to his situation come to him and the majority of the book is a conversation between the four of them and um jo job the whole time though is like you know man God is pretty heavy-handed when he wants to be, and he really laid me low this time. This sucks. Um, I've never hurt this bad in my life. He's not saying, like, he's not, like, middle finger to the sky yeah. by any means. 
But it does come to a point where he says, like, God, you see how I treat the people in my life. You see how I treat the crops that I harvest. You see how I treat the animals that I, I rear. Why can't you treat me that way? Like, I treat them well. They render back to me praise and salvation in their own way. You treat me well. I do that same thing to you. Basically trying to take the steering wheel a little bit out of God's hands. Um, and the three personas are like the, the first guy is kind of identifying with them a little bit and being like, well, such is life. It's crazy. You know, we'll never know sort of thing. The second guy is like sort of on the side of like, you kind of brought this on yourself, dude. Like you say you, you've been living a righteous life, but like maybe not. And the third guy is like, you did something wrong, Joe. Like, God wouldn't come down on anybody like this if you didn't do something wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to appraise your whole life and think of where you went wrong. And, like, Job keeps replying to them. They make assertions. He replies, sometimes with anger, sometimes with just, like, about to give up sort of energy. All this is happening until the end where God steps into the chat and is like... Let me tell you something, Job. Okay? You you think that it's going to be just cut and dry. This whole life is just going to be black or white, good and bad, naughty or nice, right? He's like, take a look. Like I think I imagine God takes him on some sort of a magic cloud, fifth dimensional journey, yeah. you know, taking him through the whole universe and it's like you see that star formation over there that's the pleiades you see that over there that's orion's belt you know what it takes to make that no of course you don't and then he takes him down to earth and is like look at how the goat is eating his meal and how two hours after that it comes out of him as like uh, nourishment for the soil he's like do you want me to give you my job for a day you think you could keep this ship running for a day and Job's like, well, I mean, you make a good point. And God, uh, like, kind of scolds him for the fact that he's like, let me, let me drive a boat. You know, Job <laughs> essentially is like, let me drive a boat. And God kind of comes down and suns him a little bit. And Job comes to the realization of like, I will never know the true nature of God because I can't wrap my head around it. None of us can wrap our head around it. We could, us four could stay here moralizing and philosophizing about all this shit till the end of time. And we will not even come to one, one millionth of a percent of what God knows and does. And basically by the end, God's like, you've been suffering, bro, but you've been a good dude the whole time. So here's all your stuff back and just like, boop. Like, snaps a finger, and Job's life is back to awesome. Are his kids back? Yeah. The kids, wife, animals, property, grains. Nice. I know. And so, I guess I guess it kind of goes, I said it dovetailed with the free will argument, or free will theory portion. But yeah, like, you get a choice whether to do things for the greater good. And I know we got plenty of people that listen that don't believe in a higher power, any sort of God, but like think of like God as the greater good for the human race, like the humanist perspective, right? 
at some point you're going to be at a disadvantage in order to fulfill that greater good. Like it's not always going to be zingers. Yeah. Like you're not, it's not just going to be ho-hos and, you know, a 2006 version of Kim Kardashian coming over and doing uh, favors for you. If you catch my drift. Um, There's going to be things that are out of reach. Things that are out of reach, things that just seem unfair and that suck. Yeah. And you're uh, just a witness to. Yeah. And you got no power to control. But that's where like the stoicism comes in and, and becomes helpful because you realize that you don't have any control over the things that go on outside of you. You can control your devotion to that, whether divine or humanist ideal. You can control how much you're putting into either of those things. You can control your reaction to those things. You can control your emotions and your words and your actions. But that's about it. You know, if a 747 comes out of the sky and crashes into your house like Donnie Darko style, there ain't nothing you can do about that shit. No. Like you are, you're either dead or, you know, you're eating through a tube for the rest of your life. And there's really, there's really nothing you can do about it, but you can still be thankful for what you got. Um, like that song, uh, Diamond in the Back, or it might just be called Just Be Thankful for What You Got. Yeah, Massive Attack. Well, well, I don't know if they did it. Yeah, yeah, they did a version of it. They sampled it. Um, yeah, that's, it's by some guy named like Steve Vaughn or something. Yeah, I was... I th- I you, made, it, you made me think about the sample now. Now that you say that, I thought it was by Curtis Mayfield because it sounds I like thought so too, it sounds like a Curtis Mayfield I, yeah, song. But it sounds like it is. It's it's a beautiful song, and there's like fucking there's like a verse, one verse that kind of repeats yeah. itself. It's like a mantra. Yeah, like if if I was dying, I, I'd want to hear something like that. Oh yeah, like a mantra. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, I mean. Lowest points in my life, sometimes music can come in and really clear the air a little bit, rejuvenate the spirit, you know? And that's definitely on the... Uh, well, aside from Animal Collective, what <laughs> what other... Do you have any, like, hate. recommended or not low... Like, I guess it can be low-point music. It could be, you know, Cameron's uh, Dirty Pleasure type of music, or it could be something that uplifts Cameron. What's What's Cameron's choice? Well, we got to narrow it to one. Yeah, well, yeah. One category. We're reaching the hour. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I don't really even feel like there should be a time limit on these things. If we end up talking for like three hours at one point There's and it's no cohesive, yeah. we can, it's okay. I mean, I guess God's the guest. God's here. the guest. I hope <laughs> we're doing well, brother. Father. Uh shit. Um, but I I listen to music more so to to feel things than rather to rather because I'm feeling something I always ask this to people like do you listen to music because you want to feel a specific way or because you do feel a specific way and this song just jives with that vibe right now for you and a lot of people say that they listen to music because they're feeling specific way right I I hear that answer a lot I try to listen to music because I want to feel I want it to do something to me not for it to validate me you know I do 
I don't say that I don't completely, but, um, so if I'm like feeling sad or like need a renewal, uh, music I'll listen to, I got a playlist of songs that make me cry. So if I need to cry, I'll just put on one of those songs, you know? We'll try to link that in the description. Yeah, I'll I'll make that playlist <laughs> official and share we'll it to DM everybody. Just DM the page. We'll, we'll share. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are definitely songs that make me feel good that oh, true. I would like to feel um, good. If it, because like if I want to feel something or I want to change the state that I'm in, I'll put this song on. So like feel good song is that diamond in the back song. That's great. Very mantra like, um, my sweet Lord by George Harrison is probably one of the most beautiful songs ever made. Although the dude got sued to high heaven because apparently he, stole like the hook from a Motown group's song and I've listened to the original song and it fucking blows so like George still won I'd say he he had to pay money out but he I think he won culturally speaking uh that song's good wouldn't it be nice beach boys classic um that can make me tear up sometimes too it's such just like a nice song uh I can think of more, but do you have go-to songs? Any pre-fuse 73? <laughs> you knew you were going to bring that up. Yes, sir. So actually about the part about whether it's to make me feel good or to validate an emotion or a feeling, because uh, sometimes at work what I have to do is play some background music for the acts, the musicians that are you know doing their three-hour set. I usually choose, like, when it comes to that kind of stuff, definitely I like to keep the mood going of, like, what we're listening to. Sometimes I like to just throw in some trip-hop into the mix, you know? Of course you do. I try not to go way too far from it. But now, if we're talking about personally what Carlos likes to listen to, it's it's always, like, a mixture between a lot of instrumental stuff. I don't really dive into personal songs that have lyricism. There are some good ones that I obviously enjoy. I can't really think of it on the top of my head. But it's always been like the instrumental stuff. The instrumental stuff has just like... Like I can convey whatever emotion I'm I'm hearing from it. And especially when it comes to like the musicians that are the ones recording it, producing it, creating it. Um, I don't... I don't get stricken by the, the title of the song of like, Oh, this is the song is called a beautiful portrait or whatever. Or, and, or you can think of like any jazz standard, the, the title, I don't really think of it in, in that regards. I, I kind of just like view it how I sort of feel. It makes me feel. And usually it makes me just feel, you know, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like the music's talking to like the way that I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a very I've told Cameron this I'm a very I this could not be the right usage of the word but like kinesthetic I like movement mm-hmm. I like you know stretching I like to not be still often even though there is importance of being still and just and that's where you put on like just listening music like binaural beats that yeah. stuff is really good especially if you're trying to like 
go to bed. Oh, yeah. Or if you want to, like, really crank it up, listen to, like, iDozer. There's a playlist on Spotify that that stuff will get your brain in a different, in a different element. But when it comes to going back to, you know, the instrumental stuff, like the Prefuse 73, um, I, I kind of enjoy his stuff a lot, sort of like, to your equivalent would be like um, Aphex Twin. Only because like with Prefuse, like a lot of his stuff, especially like the early 2000s kind of stuff was very like, yes, hip hop bass. But he's very he's very much like a glitch style or mm. IDM type of like producer, mm-hmm. kind of sort of similar to like Teebs would be a good you know yeah. example. And his other stuff that you know he he releases things on Bandcamp now, and like a couple of independent uh, label since he's no longer with Warp Records. A lot of that stuff is almost like uh, like there's one EP called the. Um, the human voice it's it's called like the season of the human voice i think it's on bandcamp and it's just like a 12 track ep that he uses just samples of humans voice like the oohs and ahs and he kind of like creates like a rhythmic style of just like sampling really mm-hmm. it's just sampling and then there's another one that i just call like it's a series and this one's like of drums and percussion and it's just that, like different types of drums and percussions. It's almost like I'm listening to like a journal of this guy's like motive. Yeah. And whether I either feel or agree to that person's motive of why they made that song, I kind of just, you know, don't really think about that. Cause when I'm listening to it, I'm kind of like creating my own little like atmosphere of how, like, okay. I can kind of see how, why I like this. It's very like artistic. It's very almost like a Pablo Picasso, Da Vinci style form of, of seeing stuff Mm. where it's like surreal. It's kind of weird, but it's also like grandiose in like the whole scheme of things. And I think that's why me and you, we have like a good, like crossover of like styles that we enjoy. No, definitely. Because a lot of the animal collective stuff has been like really interesting. I played some today at work. No way. Uh, out in the field, I, th- I think it was like uh, it's one of the songs. I'm I'm gonna butcher the name later, but I'll tell you. It's 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 one of the ones, and it's more like a mainstreamish song. I think it was like on a on like a playlist on Spotify. About Is it my like, girls? It was like a playlist about like uh, it was a Spotify playlist specifically for like skateboarding. Okay. But it was like Animal Collective was in it. It was like, okay, let's start off with this. Nice. And yeah, uh, so what I'm saying is like the music that I choose to listen to is just because it, it kind of like works with my way of thinking. Mm. That's why all the drum and bass, the jungle stuff has like been really good to, to my heart because it's just like, that's kind of like how I like to think of life in a way. Kind of like fast pace, almost kind of avant-garde in some ways. That's why I like jazz a lot because a lot of the improvisation is sort of what I like to think about as like speaking words and movement. I see it as movement a mm. lot. Coltrane stuff is very like that's that's heavy moving. Yeah, yeah. That's that. I can study to that stuff. No, easily, easily. Yeah, because it, it yeah it becomes like a white noise. There's so much, not in a bad way, but like it becomes like this 
it's almost like the sound of the ocean, the sound of the wind and the trees, how that can make up like a really good background yeah. noise. It's just like a way more complex version of that. Like there's a, there's a John Coltrane. He was the, I think he was the first guy to take my favorite things from the sound of music musical and like a uh, quote unquote, like remix it into a jazz standard. I bet. Um, yeah, I think he did the first version of that. Uh, cool song originally, and one of my favorite, like, recordings of John Coltrane, probably my favorite recording of John Coltrane, is that song. Um, because, like, harmonically, it's really cool. Um, and I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of that because I don't want to speak out of school. And also, I don't want to bore anybody. But there's a version of that song in John Coltrane's life, he kind of went from, like, young buck, wet behind the ears, playing with Miles Davis and all those, like, classic cats, to then stepping out on his own, becoming his own band leader. And then in the latter later portion of his life, he uh, met and married Alice Coltrane, piano player, harp player, um, Flying Lotus's great aunt. Yeah. Uh, which is rad. Um, and he opened up to more like spiritual energies, sort of saw himself as like a conduit for the voice of God to come through, you know? And with that, you can get into some really avant-garde, free jazz type shit. Um, which I'll be completely honest, sort of escapes me at this point in my life. Uh, cause, um, one of my professors in college told me about this 52 minute version of my favorite things that they did in Japan. And it's where, you know, John Coltrane has already met and married Alice Coltrane. She's playing keys in his group. And 30 minutes of it don't sound like my favorite thing. Yeah, it's it, like way far from it. It sounds like some sort of ritual going on in the forest somewhere where like, I don't know, they're primal yells through instruments. Yeah. It, get, it gets weird. Um, but I listened to it for research purposes and it comes together nicely at the end, but through most of it, I was just like, what the hell is going on? It's kind here? of just like something to digest as a moment, really. Definitely. And and for those that are like with time in their hands, yeah. Yeah, check it out. I mean, listen to the whole thing if you want. Listen to the whole thing, you know, uh, play it in the background while you're cleaning your bathroom or something. Like do something productive while you're doing it and key into it every now and then. Um if you're like a real big boy musician, I guess sit down and unflinchingly listen to it. But Try to transcribe that. No thanks. Just uh, imagine like playing like for 15, 52 minutes. Mm. Was it as a trio? Do you remember? Or was it like a quartet? I don't know the exact personnel, but I know that it was in Tokyo. And I know that it was 52 minutes. And I know yeah. Alice Coltrane was involved, obviously. Tokyo and jazz mix as well. They have a healthy appreciation of all art, but jazz, they not only like in, are enthusiastic about it, but they're very, very good at it. Um, ah, shit. Uh, 
Rio Fukui. The Rio pian- Fukui, yeah. Yeah, the piano player. I sampled plenty of his music. And it's just that, that album, it's called like My Favorite Songs. It's him just playing the piano. Um, Man, I want to, I, I should send you that track so you can put it in the intro or the outro. Because I sampled it and it kind of came out pretty good. But. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I will. I'm I'm sure I've shown you in the past, but it's been a while. Well, um, you will use it for the intro or so. I I dude, and that's another thing. Like I surprise myself. I wonder if you've experienced this too. When you listen to stuff that you made in the past, maybe for you it's stuff you've mixed in the past, and you're like, where was my mind at? Like, what made me come up with that? You know, like. I can go back to these old projects and look at the mixer and see how everything's routed and be like, man, that's like breaking a lot of quote unquote, like fundamental rules. Yeah. But this shit sounds good. I surprise myself if I open something that's really old. And for me, old would have to be like 2020, 2020 or 2019, which I don't think I have any projects that I still saved. I, I archive it at that point. But if I look at the settings, it's like, hmm, I was really making a decision why I use, let's say, this EQ and, like, you know, these reverb sends or whatever. Um, lately, it's been kind of, like, uniformed where it makes sense. Oh, okay, I now I know why I did that. But when it comes to, like, stuff I made in Logic, yeah, I kind of wonder about, like, the headspace that I was in to create it. Mm. And I've actually taken to a good practice of that thought i i don't know if you if you told me about it or my friend dylan told me about it where it's like if if you're making something and it doesn't feel right the first time um it's okay to you know shelve it for a bit because later on i mean because it may not be now that is in to be useful Mm mm-hmm when you go back to that project or so and you listen through it's like maybe that will be like later down the line will spark will respark the creativity yeah yeah i think uh we were talking with jordan about that about how like you put all this time into something that's basically just a chorus or basically just a verse and you know you got it really polished up and it's like i don't know where to go from here right that I mean, I've encountered that brick wall of like, okay. Well, and you could also, from Jordan, you could borrow from yourself because he talked about like the voice yeah, memos. That's what. That's what he. Yeah, that's what. That's what. Um, that's what he said, and that's sort of what I was getting at. Like, if you leave that polished section of a song in your archive, but like mark it, you'll come up with something else in the future that you really jive with, and you'll hit the same brick wall. And then you can go back to that old idea and be like, could I smash these two together to be something? Mm. You might have to like, you know, you probably made one in one key and the other in another key, but you could just transpose. If you're using MIDI especially, you could just transpose whatever you made in that initial project to fit with the second project. And then you smash that together. Um, That always blows my mind when it happens. I'm not, I'm I'm just starting to get back into like making something new every week or every other day. 
so that I can start to have those kind of serendipitous moments happen again. I think one actually happened last night because I made an instrumental last night that I'm really happy with. And I'll show you after we're done here um, that like I'm thinking of making into a full fledged song because um, it's I don't know it, it it I got to a point where it was like, all right, I'm running out of gas. The train is crawling on the tracks right now. It's going to come to a stop at some point. But I then think like, oh, wait, let me go listen through some of these old projects that I only have one section on. Yeah. And then they come together and it's like, boom, boom. got it. That's how you do it, baby. You know, that's the spice. That's the spice. That's what you, that's what we go for. Um, but yeah, all that being said, uh, just keep making, keep making what you're making, do your art, whatever it is, whether it's talking to people or crochet or HVAC, just keep doing it. Jewelry making. Jewelry making. I wonder if, if this whole last five minutes of talking can be made parallel with jewelry making or, uh, being an attorney. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Seeing life through different viewpoints. Mm hmm I think uh, with that said, we should probably bring this episode to a close. I think we're we're right on time. Um, I know I said that we shouldn't really put a time limit on these things, but <laughs> I mean, nah, man, this is uh, this is actually kind of lovely. We're just just two people shooting the shit. I like the casual cast. Yeah, you know. Um, I also like researching things and coming prepared and stuff, but this was us just kind of pulling stuff out of our butts. Um, and if you listen to this point, bless you. And I love you. You know it. Um, I'm, uh, again, endlessly thankful for anybody who listens. Um, so just take a second and, and you know, uh, wherever you are, uh, pat yourself on the back for me. Just do it for me. Um, and know that I very much appreciate you. Carlos very much appreciates you. And we do this because we like to do it. We like to share time with you and we'll, we'll, we'll be your surrogate best friends. If you, if you really want that, we got some more guests lined up coming down the pipe. Um, we've had so many good ones so far and they're only going to get better. I'm really excited. A lot of, Tampa Bay musicians and artists of other forms, um, some lovely ladies and gentlemen with varied experiences in this uh, mortal coil that I think will bring some enlightenment to each of our lives. Um, me and Carlos kind of get the point blank blast of information from these people, but we're happy to record it and push it out to you, um, lovely souls out there. Carlos, do you have anything to say in summation? Um, make sure to eat your vegetables. It's true. It's true. I know I did today. Cruciferous green vegetables are really good for you. I'm talking like, you know, uh, spinach, Love spinach, romaine, lettuce, kale. Um, you know, kale, it takes some time to get used to. Kind Asparagus. Of asparagus oh asparagus is so good dude yeah. especially with steak you ever have a, like you ever have that like, i had it with chicken okay 
Same. I mean, any meat, I'm yeah. sure, paired with is very nice. Broccoli. They're sure it's steamed. Steamed broccoli is pretty good. Steamed broccoli is the best, man. Yeah, dude. I like um, making stir fries. I've been big into that recently. Um, where and growing your own shit, too, man. Mm -hmm. um, I've been telling Cameron, the last thing we'll wrap up on, that I have a passion fruit uh, vine plant growing. And it's been just nothing but just giving us so much fruit this uh, season. That's so nice, man. It's, it's plentiful vitamin C. And we also have uh, green onions Damn. in our backyard. So I use that for making fried rice. I love green onions, dude. No need to buy it. No need. Yeah, Carlos came over to my house yesterday on some business. And as he was leaving, he was like, you growing anything yet? And I'm like, yeah. I sort of tried, and then I sort of gave up, and he's like, you can do it, man. Just just do it. And I'm like, all right, well, damn. Talk about God speaking through people to you. You got you to gotta listen. Yeah. Um, God's saying stop eating out. Yeah. I don't, I don't eat out that much, <laughs> but I do, I do buy, like, vegetables from the store, and yeah. it's like, I could just grow these. Um, but... That's uh, another topic of discussion yeah. for another episode. This has been the Blank Sutra podcast with me, Cameron Dorsey, and my lovely brother of a co-host, Carlos Reyes. We hope you have a lovely and enchanted evening. Um, the blessing this week is to be thankful for what you got. Though you may not drive. A great big Cadillac, diamond in the back, sunroof top, digging the sea with a gangster lean. That's a good ass song. So that's the uh, that's the blessing for this episode. Um, again, some more interviews coming up, but let us know how you like these casual casts. Reach out to us on Instagram. Um, you're gonna have the website coming up pretty soon. We're taking pictures for that. Uh, we have the email going, so any inquiries about uh, booking, if you want to have us play at Madison Square Garden, please reach out. Um, you know, if we're not busy, we'll do it. And um, just, it's a pleasure. Shoot us a message. DM us. DM us. We're here. Yes. This is the Blank Sutra Podcast. Have a lovely evening. <laughs>